Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Monday, October 18th, 2021. And today will be better than yesterday. Producing from his home studio in the foothills of Connecticut is the Rev Taylor Schwink. The Lord uses that jacuzzi in mysterious ways. <laughs> I'm Buster only working from my home in New York. What a fascinating weekend in the National League Championship Series with the Dodgers and the Braves throwing haymakers. Games one and two. This is how game one of the Braves Dodgers series ended on Saturday. Trying in the 0-1. Swing and a line drive. Base hit. Left field to the corner. Always around 30. Races home. Austin Riley wins it. And the Braves walk it off in game one of the NLCS. That was the legend Boog Shambi on ESPN Radio who's calling that series along with Jessica Mendoza. So a walk-off win in game one. The Dodgers trying to become the first team in more than two decades to repeat as uh, champions sent Max Scherzer to the mound for game two against the Braves' Ian Anderson, and the Dodgers jumped ahead. Here's the pitch, and Seager swings and crushes one out towards right center field. Peterson back, turning and looking, and that one is gone. Corey Seager unloads over the high right field wall, 401 feet, and just like that, the Dodgers have jumped out. It is 2-0. Max Scherzer was good early, and against Freddie Freeman, who was really struggling. Comes set, kicks, fires. And that one in there, got him looking. Freeman frozen, and he has struck out now his first six plate appearances in the National League Championship Series. But I'm in the bottom of the fourth inning. You could see the velocity for Scherzer starting to drop. Jock Peterson took advantage. The 1-0 drill, right field. That one on its way, and that one is way out of here. Oh, my. Into the chop house, Jock Peterson, 454 feet away. And we're starting over. It is 2-2. He crushed it. Then at that moment, uh, I got a text message from my son, who is a Braves fan, and he wrote, Jocktober. Jock Peterson's going absolutely crazy. You got back into the dugout, and if you could read his lips, he basically told his teammates, I'm a bad blank. (laughs) Freddie Freeman struggles, continues in the bottom of the fifth. Lifts the leg, fires. Swing and a miss. And he strikes out again. So Freddie Freeman... 0 for 7 with 7 strikeouts in this series. The Dodgers threatened in the top of the 6th inning. Tyler Matzik on the mound. Man at third, 2 outs. 1 and 2 to Pujols. Matzik fires. Swing and a miss. He struck him out. Matzik punches out Pujols. And Taylor is stranded at third. What a pivot point in this series. The Braves with a 1-0 lead. The Dodgers trying to even the series. Atlanta with a chance to go ahead two games to none. And in the top of the seventh inning, Chris Taylor got a big hit for the Dodgers. The pitch. Swing and a line drive out into shallow center field. Parade coming on. Can't get it. It kicks past him. Bets in to score. Smith on his heels. They'll stop Turner at third. Two runs are in, and it is 4-2 Dodgers. And in the eighth inning, Dodgers manager Dave Roberts brought on Julio Urias, who scheduled a start in game four 
feeling like that, uh, look, a string of left-handed hitters were due up. So Arias, who's been so great in the postseason for the Dodgers in the past, was given the ball. Atlanta immediately started to rally. Ozzie Albies drove in a run. Arias delivers. Swing and a line drive. That's a base hit in the right field. Charging in is Souza. He'll pick it up. Here's the throw to the plate. And the tag. Save! And Rosario gets in. Albies delivers. It's a one-run game. Next guy to the plate, Austin Riley. The pitch. Swing and a ball drilled out towards left center. Racing back is Betts. It's over his head. He picks it up. Here's Albies. They're going to send him. Here's the throw to the plate. The tag. And it gets away. In safely as Albies. And it is tied at four and four. Crowd going nuts there. Austin Riley going nuts in this postseason. Top of the ninth inning. Will Smith at the plate. Will Smith on the mound. Smith sets fires. Swing and a high fly ball in the air. Left field. Rosario back at the wall. Near the wall. Looking up. And he makes a catch. Wow. Right up against the fence. I mean, Trey Turner just missed it. Yeah, my mistake there, that was Trey Turner at the plate. Will Smith also would go down in the top of the ninth inning. In the bottom of the ninth inning, Kenley Jansen on the mound for the Dodgers. Kenley Jansen comes set and deals. Swing and a line drive. Off the glove of Seager and out into center field. Here comes Swanson, and the Braves win it. Rosario the hero. Oh, boy. Eddie Rosario, an absolute bullet. Up the middle, Swanson scores, and the Braves victorious. Two days, two walk-offs. And now the series will shift to LA with the Braves leading 2-0. Austin Riley spoke with our Alden Gonzalez. What does it feel like this atmosphere right now taking two games on these guys? You know, it's awesome. And you know, uh, you know, it's great as it is, you know, it's, it's very important going to, to their place. You know, we were able to get two here. This crowd is unbelievable. You know, it's it's, 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 it's someone different every night with this group. I mean, it's, it's never the same. So, I mean, this is this is unreal. What are you thinking while you're in the dugout as Eddie Rosario comes up to bat in that situation against Kelly? You know, he hits Milo. I feel like he hits Milo really well. Um, and, and, you know, he, he, he doesn't try to do too much. He's just trying to find a barrel. Uh, and that's exactly what he did tonight. And, you know, I couldn't be happier for him. Austin, I feel like a lot of people throughout the country maybe didn't believe in you guys going into this series. What do you think you guys have proven through these two games? Uh, we get, you know, we're right there in the hunt. Don't count us out. I mean, you know, what this what this team has done from top to bottom, you know, bullpen, starters, you know, the guys out in the field. I mean, it's it's been a team effort, no doubt. Uh, you know, we're just continuing to build that momentum. Here's Jack Peterson. You just barely missed one drive against Max Scherzer that just hooked right of the foul pole. How good did it feel to finally connect on one like that? It was good. Uh, felt nice. You know, he's uh, he's got really good stuff. And uh, luckily there was a guy on base. I was able to tie the game, help the team win a ball game. Jock, your pearl necklaces have been all over this place all year. They're everywhere in this ballpark right now. You just got here. Like, what, what does it feel like that this community has just sort of rallied around you as quickly as it has? It's awesome playing in front of these, uh, these fans. It's nice to be embraced and just being myself and trying to do everything I can to help the team win. And nobody has a better perspective on this than you. What's it going to take to close these guys out in this round? You know, just a little bit of love, baby. Just a little bit of love. So Max Scherzer had to come out of the game in the fifth inning after 78 pitchers, and Dave Roberts explained. 
early on, I thought it was good, and he sort of hit a wall. And after that fourth inning, he said uh, he was starting to feel it a little bit. And so um, so that's why going into that fifth inning, it was going to be a short leash. Um, and when I took the ball, you know, he said, I gave it all I had, and, and that's what you want from a player. Here's Max Scherzer. Yeah, I would just say my arm was dead. I could tell when I was warming up. I would, it, you know, I would, it was still tired. And I've been in a situation before, you know, and you don't always go out there and pitch you know, full, full strength. Um, usually in those situations, kind of, you know, once you get past pitch 45, you know, sometimes it kind of loosens up and you're able to get deeper into a game. Um, but after, you know, that third inning, um, you know, it didn't loosen up. It was, it was still, you know, it was more tightening up. So I could tell that I was going to, you know, my pitch count was going to be limited. I wasn't going to be able to get truly deep into a game. I wasn't going to get to that 9,500 pitch count. Game three will be in LA on Tuesday. Charlie Morton will be pitching for the Braves against Walker Bueller of the Dodgers. The Baseball Tonight podcast is presented by Gatorade. Gatorade knows there are many paths to greatness. Sometimes it starts with having a goal. Sometimes you need to show a little grit. Sometimes a journey is a grind. Whatever path you take to greatness, Gatorade is there to fuel it because greatness starts with G. Meanwhile, in the American League Championship Series, the Red Sox punch back on Saturday to even the series with a couple of big swings. Here's the 1-0 and a swing and a ball hit to right field and hit pretty well. Tucker back, looks up, it's gone. An opposite field grand slam for J.D. Martinez. And it is four to nothing Red Sox here in the very first inning. Here's the 1-1 and a swing and a ball hit hard. Down the right field line. Will it stay fair? Yes, it will. Devers tosses the bat away. And the Red Sox have hit their second grand slam of the game. And now lead eight to nothing. That was the voice of Dan Schulman on ESPN Radio from Saturday. We'll be talking with Dan a little bit about Game 3, which will be played tonight at Fenway Park. In that Game 2, the Astros lost another starting pitcher. Remember, they'd already lost Zach Ranke and Lance McCullers Jr. to injury. And on Saturday, Luis Garcia had to come out because of a knee issue. Dusty Baker gave us an update on Luis Garcia in the off-day press conference at Fenway Park on Sunday. He's uh, he's feeling a lot better. Uh, you know, he had a bullpen session today, made some adjustments, and uh, yeah, he's doing pretty good. Dusty talked about positives from game two. You know, he likes to see Yuli get get started. Uh, you know, Yuli had a good game. Uh, the fact that everybody knows our team's not going to quit. You know, we got some good work out of our out of our bullpen. You know, we came out you know healthy. This is what I pray for every day to come out of this uh, out of each day, and you know, in good health. Jose Arquiti will start game three against Eduardo Rodriguez, who spoke with reporters on Sunday about facing the Astros lineup. I mean, they can hit, you know, if you make a mistake, they're going to hit the, they can hit the ball out of the ballpark every time you make a mistake. So that's something that I've got to really be uh, being away for tomorrow, you know. So just go out there tomorrow, execute the plan that I made with, with Basque tomorrow and go out there and, and do the best we can to keep the game in position to win the game. That's, that's, all, the, that's all the plan for tomorrow. Red Sox manager Alex Cora talked about how good it will be to be back home in Fenway Park against the Astros. Somebody's going to win tomorrow. Somebody's going to go up 2-1. And then game four, uh, as you know, is, 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 a very, is a huge game in every series, right? In a seven-game series. But uh, coming here, being at home, making the series uh, best out of five and hosting three, it makes us feel good. But we still 
face one of the best uh, teams in the big leagues. They're really good offensively on the road. First pitch is part of ESPN Nation, brought to you by Dr. Pepper. College football is back, and so are the fans. Return to glory with Fansville by Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. Taylor, what you got? Buster, a reminder, you can watch every single pitch of the 2021 MLB postseason on ESPN Radio. Tonight, we've got Astros at Red Sox. Tune in at 7.30 p.m. Eastern time. A couple other things to note. Our annual NBA opening night doubleheader is Wednesday, October 20th. You've got Celtics at Knicks. Tune in at 7.30 Eastern time, 4.30 Pacific. Then it's our primetime West Coast game, Suns, Nuggets. Two great matchups to tip off the NBA season on ESPN and the ESPN app. One app, one tap. Finally, check out Organized Chaos, the podcast. Bart Scott, Rex Ryan, they're talking about how the Ravens shut down Justin Herbert. Which teams need to find a new answer at quarterback? How Kyler Murray keeps on setting himself up to win the MVP and how the Cowboys won despite their head coach's decisions. All that and much more on Organized Chaos. You can listen to that wherever you get your podcasts. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Buster. Just go to Indeed.com slash Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Dogs are an important part of our lives and keeping them protected is a top priority especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus chews provide one-and-done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NexGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. Seam heads rejoice. This is Timmy time. Baseball is the greatest game. With Tim Kirkson. It never disappoints you. On Baseball Tonight. Tim Kirkson who covers baseball for ESPN. And Tim, how about this National League Championship Series so far? Two incredible games. Two walk-offs for the Atlanta Braves. Uh, doesn't it feel like whatever the, you know, the, the Braves came out of the NLCS last year after having a 3-1 lead and letting the Dodgers get off the hook? 
Like it feels like that they are ready to go toe to toe. It's like Ali Frazier, you know, second flight here. Yeah, there might be there might be something special going on here with the Braves, Buster, because I saw them. I covered the Braves Brewer series and I was really impressed with what I saw. When you look at this season, Buster, they were under 500 for 126 days of this season. The last division winner to do that was the 89 Blue Jays. It's hard to be under 500 that long and now be in this spot. But they caught fire late. They won 12 of their last 14. Their starting pitching is really good. Their bullpen has been really good during the postseason, especially. And we know they can hit the ball out of the ballpark. And the Eddie Rosarios of the world are getting really big hits at all times. So maybe something's going on here because last year was such a devastating loss when you're up 3-1 to against the Dodgers that uh, maybe the Braves learned something from that. Maybe somehow they've decided, are right, we're going to try to win without Ronald Acuna Jr. I just know I've seen some stuff that make you slap your head going, all right, maybe something's going on here with the Braves because to win those two games the way that they did, fourth team ever to win games one and two of any postseason series, both on a walk-off, um, something really interesting is happening here potentially. There's no doubt that the last five years that the Dodgers have been the dominant force in baseball, uh, you know, making the World Series repeatedly, potentially in position again. But I don't think we can forget the fact that since the trade deadline, the Braves have the best record in baseball. They're 42 and 20 since they made all these trades. And one of those guys that they got, Eddie Rosario, man, he he had what an incredible game for him. Yeah, he had four rockets last night, made a couple, one really good play in the outfield. And, you know, Buster, about a month ago, I did a Dodger game and I asked one of the Dodgers, I said, is there really anything to worry about here? And he he kind of whispered to me, he said, we're not the same offensive team we were last year. Our situational hitting isn't what it was. He said, go check out our numbers. We lead the league and run scored, but there are a bunch of games where we'll, a bunch of times we'll score 11 and then we'll score two in the next three games. And every once in a while, I look at the Dodger lineup, which is, is so filled with players. But sometimes you can pitch to them, as the Braves did in game one. Max Fried was brilliant. So I'm not suggesting the Dodgers aren't a good offensive team. I just keep remembering one of the Dodgers saying, we're we're not the same team we were offensively last year. So this will be a great series. This thing is so, so far from being over. The Dodgers pitching is still so good. Walker Buehler in game three, I bet the house on that guy. But Atlanta's pitching is very, very good. Now, he said that that Dodgers said that to you before Max Muncy got hurt, right? Because that's the absence. That's the player that you feel during this series so far. Like yes. you feel like, boy, you throw a Max Muncy with the quality of his at-bats into this situation, and it's just going to feel very different. Yeah. The same guy told me, Buster, that Max Muncy has been our best offensive player, quote, by a lot this year. That's how good Max Muncy has been. You take out middle of the order hitter, 35 homer guy, and just as important guy who sets the tone. This is how we play here. We wait. We wait to hit a pitch. We don't chase. That's who Max Muncy is. And they're missing him terribly. There's no way around that. I've told you the story about going up to Bruce Bochy during the uh, World Series in 2014 and saying, hey, Bochy, I'm trying to keep track 
Uh, are you a complete idiot today? Or are you a genius? Because <laughs> I feel like that that's always the nature of how managers are viewed in the postseason. If it works out, they're a genius. If it doesn't work out there and they're a complete idiot, that's what I felt like, uh, you know, in the aftermath of the scrutiny that Dave Roberts is getting for bringing in uh, Julio Urias last night. Uh, you know, he was brought in in the eighth inning to face a series of left-handed hitters. It didn't work out. The Braves wound up scoring some runs. Dave was asked to explain his decisions after the game. And, I, Tim, I kind of feel like like this is just a domino from how the Dodgers got to this moment, basically throwing the kitchen sink at game five uh, to get past the Giants in the division series, again having to go to the kitchen sink in game one, uh, having another bullpen game. Eventually that's going to catch up with you and you're going to have to you know, reach for solutions and not everything is going to, going to work out. And on top of that, as you mentioned with the offense, it's just no margin for error. Yeah, Buck Showalter taught me a long time ago, Buster, just because what you do doesn't work out doesn't mean it was the wrong move. And just because something does work out doesn't mean it was the right move, okay? Look, I wasn't even surprised when Arias came in the game last night because the Dodgers started Corey Knable in back-to-back games. All the rules have changed for all the teams in the postseason. Even the Dodgers, even with their depth of pitching, this is what they do. Look, they brought Arias in in part so they could get Ozzie Albies to bat right-handed, and he ended up getting a bloop single to right field. Um, Arias has pitched in, in relief. He's been a starter. If anyone can handle something like this, it's him. It was his throw day, and Dave Roberts said he's still going to start on in game four. It's not a problem. And when Max Scherzer only throws 79 pitches, then the equation changes again. So it's not that it, it, it was a series of great moves by Dave Roberts, but to criticize him roundly for this, I'm just not seeing it because, again, this is how postseason baseball works. Starters are relievers, relievers are starters, and they're all interchangeable. How about Austin Riley and his emergence this year? Uh, you know, a guy who is confounded by breaking balls and now is one of the best players in the National League and certainly one of the best players this postseason. Yeah, he's been great. Kevin Seitz has done a great job with him. And Chipper Jones worked with him also. And, and they told me that Chipper essentially told him coming into the season, look, you're really good, man. You don't even know it yet. Just trust your hands. And don't panic in any situation. And that's what Austin Riley told us during the Brewers Brave series, that whether he's in a slump, whether he's down in the count, whether he's going well or going poorly, don't panic. So he's able to just keep his hands back and trust what he's doing up there. And man, as he hit the ball hard in the postseason, his in that Braves Brewer series, he was the best hitter on the field for either team in my mind from what I saw and now he's had two enormous hits here in the in games one and game two of this series uh as great as the Braves have been recently can you possibly explain Freddie Freeman in the first two games this series strikeouts and seven straight plate appearances Yeah, Buster, this is why I say this all the time, but this is why baseball is so great. The last time I saw Freddie Freeman, he had a home run off of Josh Hader to end that series, and then he strikes out seven straight, seven consecutive plate appearances in the postseason. The only guy who's done eight is David Justice in 2001. 
Freddie Freeman is as good a hitter as there is in the game today. And you can say that for the last almost 10 years, but only in this sport can you be the best hitter and strike out seven times in a row in the postseason. So no, <laughs> I can't explain it, Buzzer, other than to say this is why baseball is so great. The best NBA jump shooter doesn't miss 20 straight three-pointers. That's what striking out seven times in a row in the postseason is like. And that's why baseball is so great is that the best players aren't always the best players. Boy, I saw some, uh, you know, criticism of him on social media yesterday. Like, he's got to stop trying to hit the ball the other way. And I'm like, oh, stop. Like, my reaction to some of it is this is just a player. And you can see it. And you know, Freddie, like I know Freddie. He's in his own head right now. And eventually he'll break out of it. I'll never forget a, you know, a conversation I had with him when he was in a slump in 2017. And once he got through it, I asked him, hey, what was the key to getting through? He said, I stopped being an idiot. And I just decided I'm not going to expand the strike zone. And he went back to his checkpoints. And I would expect that's what's going to happen between now and game three. Yeah. And before the Josh Hader game, he told me and Ravi, he said, uh, yeah, I stink. I just stink right now. And then he gets a slider right here and doesn't miss it. And they advance on one of the biggest homers in franchise history. So it's typical self-deprecating Freddie Freeman. It's eating him up, but he'll figure it out because Greg Walker, one of his hitting coaches a long time ago, once told me most low maintenance, great hitter I've ever seen. He, he knows exactly what he's doing. So he'll come out of this and it'll be fun to watch. Real quick, uh, just a number, scale of 1 to 10, how much trouble are the Dodgers in down 2-0 going home for 3-4 and 5? Um, well, they were in the same spot last year. They were down 3-1 to one last year, and if it weren't for a terrible base running mistake, they would have lost last year, but they still won. So they're in more trouble than they were last year. Yep. Because the Braves are playing differently, and Max Fried is great. Charlie Morton is great. And Ian Anderson, even though he pitched three innings last night, he's really good too. So I think they're in more trouble than last year at this point. But I'm just, I refuse to count out any team that had a 207 batting average against for the season. Their, their pitching is still great. And I think there's a huge comeback in the making for the Dodgers. All right, we're going to be talking with Dan Schulman, who's doing play-by-play in the American League Championship Series coming up, and we'll do a deep dive into that. Uh, but I want to ask you real quick about this. Uh, you know, Dusty Baker, uh, to me, at some point should make a speech in Cooperstown. He's a Hall of Fame manager. But generally, Tim, I don't know how he can overcome the issue that they have with their rotation. You know, you're right in terms of how pitching is done. You know, all the rules are out the window but you do need some anchors of innings on your pitching staff. And do they have that, Tim? Uh, I don't think they do at the moment, Buster. I'm, I mean, they could score enough runs to win this series. But when when your best pitcher, Lance McCullers, is not available, when Luis Garcia, who's, you know, could be the rookie of the year, he's been that good this year, comes out after one inning with a knee issue, um, it's just not the same. I don't know where they're going to get the innings from. They need Jose Urquidy in game three to pitch exceptionally well, which he's capable of, by the way, Buster. He's a very creative, very resourceful guy who, when one thing isn't working in the middle of a game, he says, all right, I'll try this. And then he makes that work. But they need like seven innings from him. 
and their bullpen's going to be exhausted. And even with their bullpen does pitch, somebody has to start these games. Zach Greinke at some point is going to have to give them something uh, substantial. And at this point, I don't know how the how the, the Astros get out of this from a starting pitching standpoint, but to repeat, they can hit their way through a lot of issues. I'll never forget, uh, I think it was during the World Series in 2019 when uh, the Astros started Jose Acredi, uh asking – uh, AJ Hinch about him and AJ just had this little grin on his face and said, he ain't going to be afraid. And that's something to remember tonight in Fenway park. I don't know how Urquidy's going to pitch, but AJ Hinch will tell you he ain't going to be afraid. Uh, I want to ask you about this. Jeff Passon reported yesterday, major league baseball is going to increase support for housing for minor leaguers. We don't know exactly what form that will take. I am curious about the specifics of it because in the in the uh, statement that was released by Major League Baseball, there was a curious phrase to me. It said certain players will get housing support. Uh, what does that mean? Only minor, you know, low A ball players, double A. Does it mean that uh, you know players who are in triple A are making more money aren't going to have that support? I don't know, but any support, Tim, probably is going to be an improvement. Yeah, something needs to be done, Buster, with housing, with travel, with food, especially with food. I mean, it just confuses me, Buster, where we have personal chefs at every ballpark now or cooking and the, you know, uh, eating the right food is so nutrition is so important for our major league players and our minor leaguers. They have no interest in, in feeding them properly. I talked to a guy who works for a minor league team and he said, our parent club takes great care of our minor league team. They're, they, they make sure we every player gets three meals a day and it's good food. He said, but we're in the minority. A lot of teams are not doing that. And that needs to be corrected. And the housing situation needs to be corrected. And Xavier Scruggs, who you'll have tomorrow, I believe, on the air, on the podcast, he was telling us some stories about what it was like when he was in the minor leagues and how bad the conditions were. And it's just unacceptable. I've never understood, Buster, how there can be that great a difference between the first-class life of a big leaguer and the clear second-class life of a minor leaguer. And Major League Baseball has taken so much heat over this, it's about time the parent club step forward and say, all right, we're taking care of our minor leaguers. And I'll ask him about that tomorrow when he's on the podcast. I've heard from a source this morning about that phrase, certain players. Uh, This is a case where – uh, major League Baseball is working through the details. Uh, for example, if a major leaguer is sent down to the minor leagues, does that player get uh, some sort of a housing allowance, or you know that uh, you know is that going to be part of the being on the forty man roster? Um, and this was all, of course, decided a month ago. Uh, news breaking now. Uh, before you go, I want to ask you about the Yankees' managerial situation. We still don't know if Aaron Boone is returning as manager. Uh, you know, Booney well enough to know that when they let his good friend, Phil Nevin go, and that was a decision made by the Yankees front office, when they let the hitting coaches go, that's not something that he was necessarily going to be in line with. Uh, that all said, the fact that we haven't heard from Aaron Boone saying, that's it, I'm done. I'm not going to accept this, I think is a sign that eventually the two sides will work it out. What do you think? Yeah, this is complicated, Buster, but I think you're right. I think he's still there, which means I think, emphasis think, he's going to be the manager of the Yankees next year. But this is a very difficult spot 
that the manager's been put in. You know, I quote Buck Showalter a lot, but remember, he quit as the Yankee manager in 95 because they took his coaches away. And he said, I'm not putting up with this. And Phil Nevin is is Aaron Boone's best friend. And uh, I don't think Aaron Boone's going to resign. I don't think he's going to get fired, but something needs to be done here. And it's a very, very tricky situation. And this is how it works now with teams running their clubs way more than the manager does, Buster. You know this now. I talked to a young guy the other day who's going to manage someday, and I asked him, well, you're still in line to manage, right? This guy just finished his playing career. He goes, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. He's not sure if he wants to do it anymore, to be a manager when he's a young guy who's always wanted to do this because the job is not so great anymore. And this is a perfect example in New York. You're taking away your friends and your coaches. Buster, it's not the coach's fault. It's the player's fault. You either fire the manager or you you get rid of some players. But I find it odd that we just keep firing coaches like that's going to solve everything when that's not the issue. Yeah, I've had people describe to me that the worst job in in, uh, baseball these days is that of a major league hitting coach because you have lots of work and lots of responsibility uh, and you have zero power. (laughs) And that's that's kind of the way it is for managers now, because a lot of the players uh, will have outside coaches. You have no idea what's being talked about or you have some idea, but probably not uh, specifics. And you know this, if it goes badly, Guess who's going to get blamed? <laughs> right. It's the, it's the hitting coach, the pitching coach, and they're all going to get blamed first. And that's not right. Exactly. All right, Tim. Thank you. Thank you, Buster. Talk to you soon. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Dan Schulman is doing play-by-play on the American League Championship Series for ESPN Radio. Dan, how you doing? I'm doing great, Buster. How about you? I'm doing okay. I'm guessing by now Dusty Baker has probably asked you if you can start for his team on uh, in a game because all of his other starting pitchers are getting hurt. Holy cow. I mean, how quickly things can change. You know, Lance McCullers looks like they're ace and then he can't pitch. And now Luis Garcia, he says he's feeling better, but he walked off the mound in the second inning um, of game two. And Jose Urquidy, as you know, who's starting game three tonight because of the rain delay and they bumped McCullers into his spot. He hasn't pitched in 15 days. And now, so he's going into a game at Fenway Park in a game in which they desperately need some length out of them. Uh, things look pretty stable. You know, Odorizzi threw 82 pitches. How far can Zach Greinke go if they go to him? It, it's amazing how different this looks than it did just a couple of weeks ago for them. Yeah, you know, I mean, look, I, I established the fact on Friday that basically all of my picks leading up to this, uh, the, the championship series have been wrong. 
But as we sit here today, I'm having a hard time envisioning a reasonable path for the Astros to get through this series because of the pitching challenges. Yeah, I agree with you. So, I mean, it's got to start with uh, Urquidy pitching well in this one. And then I think the most likely path, and I'm not saying it works, but is Framber Valdez on short rest in game four because he had such an abbreviated, uh, such an abbreviated game. And then in game five, can you go to Oda Rizzi? Can you go to Garcia? I mean, there's no question at least once, maybe twice in these three games at Fenway that Dusty and Brent Strom are going to have to, you know, junk it up a little bit and use three, four, five guys, uh, whether it's an opener and then a bulk guy or a bullpen game, whatever you want to call it. Um, and, and it's crazy, but you know what? We're seeing the Dodgers do crazy stuff and they've got the highest payroll in baseball. And it's just, um, it, it's crazy what some teams are having to do right now, but I think it has to start with Urquidy pitching well tonight. And then my guess is Valdez starts game four. Yeah. And that circle of trust for Dusty Baker seems very uh, narrow <laughs> at this point or small, I should say. Uh, Jake Odorizzi, the, you know, pitching the other day, he wasn't on the roster in the first round of the playoffs. He didn't look good the other day when he came in a relief and that, uh, you know, after they suffered the injury in game two. The one thing I, that stuck with me, and I mentioned this earlier in the podcast, is I can remember talking with A.J. Hinch before he started Urquidy uh, in a World Series game in 2019. And you may have been in the room with me. I can't remember. But I remember A.J. just looking at, at me, looking at us, saying, he is not afraid. Like, yeah. he, he established that right off the gate. Look, whatever happens, he might go out, he might get hit hard, but this is not a guy intimidated by the situation. 100%. And if he was saying that in 2019, then you've got to believe it's even better than that in 2021. Uh, you know, and I don't think Framber Valdez is afraid, and I don't think Christian Javier was afraid. Luis Garcia didn't look right. But their young pitchers um, do seem... Uh, very mature and, and and very confident for the most part. And, and I, if Rikidi gets hit tonight, you know, he might get Kikade, but it's not going to be because he's, he's nervous or anything like that. So uh, it, it's not like they're out of the series. They've got a fighting chance. It's not like Eduardo Rodriguez is the lock, you know, for the Red Sox. He's had one not good and one quite good. You know, I think the Red Sox are in better shape because they've got maybe the surest thing. And that's Nathan Evaldi. That's the closest thing to a lock that you, that you have in this series, but Chris Sale, who knows at this point, you know, so I'm expecting a lot of uh, four hour and six minutes, seven to five, nine to six, lots of full counts, lots of meetings on the mounds. These two, you know, part of it too, is both of these offenses are so, so good. They are objectively two of the four or five best offenses in baseball this year in the Red Sox and the uh, and the Astros. And I think we've got to remember that part as well. This is this is not easy what both teams are trying to do. I feel like the one thing with sale, you know, in game one, if there was value to what happened was is that it almost defined for Alex Cora what he can expect out of Chris Sale going forward. You know, he uh, came out of the gate great when he came back from Tommy John surgery for the first time. And then gradually, like a lot of pitchers coming back from that uh, surgery, his velocity waned, his performance waned. He had an ugly start uh, early in the postseason. And so everyone kind of wondered, okay, with extra rest, how's he going to do against the Astros? And he wasn't good. And I almost feel like that moving forward, that's valuable information for Alex Cora. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I think 100%. And I think a couple of Alex Cora's got two things going for him to a greater extent than I think Dusty Baker does. One is Tanner Houck and one is Nick Pavetta. I mean, those guys can really be the difference. Plus, 
I don't think there's any manager in baseball better at doing this kind of stuff, manipulating the craziness of the current pitching climate than Alex Cora. You know, he did it in 2018. We saw that. Um, and he will he will do it now. And Hauk wasn't good in his last one. But as you know, he's had multiple five inning uh, outings, one in the regular season, one in the postseason recently where he was great. And Nick Pavetta has been like the absolute game changer for the Red Sox on a couple of occasions right now. So even in a sale game, if he were to get two or three innings, if Hauk or Pavetta are rested, now I know Pavetta might start game four. So it might be Hauk if we're talking about a game five. You know, it's crazy. Back in the day, you and I could sit before game one and we could say, well, and Buster only's pitching three and seven. Charlie Morton's pitching three and seven. Like you could always have those conversations. Now it's the day of game three. We don't know who's starting game four. It's just crazy how it's changed. But I think with Hauk and Pavetta, uh, that gives Alex Cora a couple of advantages. Even if Sale has a, a short outing, I think the Red Sox are a little bit better suited to figuring it out. Odorizzi's out for a couple of, he's not going to pitch tonight. I don't think he pitches tomorrow. Zach Granke is going to have to get some outs for Houston at some point. And maybe it's as a starter, maybe it's for two innings, and then Framber Valdez comes in after him, maybe to turn a guy around or something. But um, it, it's, it's fascinating to me. I, I, just as you do, I love following along, not second guessing, just playing along with the managers and their decision-making process. And there's no shortage of that. Yeah. And I'm going to ask you about Alex Gore again. I had a follow up on that, but just about Nick Pavetta. I, I've just been, it's been fun to watch him, uh, in this role, you know, getting the save in the final day of the regular season. Uh, you know, his background, uh, you know, he was someone when he was with the Philadelphia Phillies, which you'd hear all the time was, boy, he's got a temper. Like he has a yeah. hard time com- uh, maintaining his composure. Maybe that doesn't uh, suit him well in being a starting pitcher because he can't get control of that. You see it come out from time to time. Kind of reminds me a bit, a little bit of John Lester. Remember, there are times when John Lester would get mad at an umpire's call and David Ross would have to go out to the mound and yell at him and tell him to get control. But you know him better. Uh, how much fun is that to watch him sort of evolve as a pitcher? Uh, it, it's amazing. And he's a guy, and uh, I've seen him a lot, you know, on the, in the Blue Jay part of my life. They tend to play the Phillies every year in interleague play. And now, of course, you know, he's with the Red Sox, and they play the Red Sox a ton. So I've seen him pitch a lot. And even in games in which he got hit, and I'm sure you would agree with me, like pretend you don't know the name or the or the background or the bio or the stats or anything – just generic pitcher, you'd watch him and you'd say, boy, that's good stuff. Like that is that fastball plays, that curveball plays. And to me, at the time of the deal last year, honestly, my my thought in the moment was what a perfect change of scenery kind of guy Nick Pavetta is. Like he it, it just felt like he needed a fresh start. Um, and, and I'm not saying I, you know, could foresee he would turn into this. And he had an up and down year too, but his up is pretty good. And like you say, he's got a lot of intensity, a lot of emotion on him. Um, I've had a chance to visit with him a couple of times, as you know, all Canadians know each other, and I visited with <laughs> him. Um, and he's, you know, with me, he's been the nicest kid in the world, nicest young man in the world. You know, you've heard other things about, like you said, about the temper or the, you know, he can really. Um, maybe getting his own way a little bit sometimes, you know, maybe just a change of scenery and some maturity and, and different voices talking to him. And uh, boy, whether it's the sixth inning, the ninth inning, the first inning, he seems to embrace, be embracing his role right now. And, and again, I, I suspect he will be in the bullpen tonight. Uh, we saw him after game two, um, as Eduardo Perez and I were sitting in the booth doing our post game hit, 
up on the monitor in our booth that you're familiar with, he went down to the bullpen and Pavetta threw in the bullpen because he wasn't needed in game two. That says to me he's starting game four. That was his between outings throwing session. But if Eduardo Rodriguez gets knocked out on the second, he could be in tonight. We know Alex Cora. But I, I got to believe plan A is that he starts game four. And again, he's still stretched out enough where he could give Alex Cora five good innings, I think. Maybe even a little bit more than that if it goes well. Uh, you've talked about Alex Cora's uh, acumen for making pitching changes and finding outs in a pitching staff, even when his guys are tired. Uh, how would you describe what makes him great as a manager? I think he is the best combination we have in the game today of the numbers and the people understanding and using the numbers and relating to the people. Um, I think he makes the 26th person on his roster feel like the most important person on his roster. Um, we asked him what he said to Chris sale when he took sale out of the most recent start in the third inning, because Alex stayed out there for a while. Um, and he said, I looked him in the eye and I think he patted him on the chest and he said, you did great. And you're going to be a big part of this going forward. Like he, he's conscious. He doesn't want to lose Chris sale knowing he's going to need Chris sale later on. Um, I think, uh, and you've known Alex a long time. I think Alex core is great with people. I don't know that he gets enough credit for that. I, I think even when the lineup card is posted or a reliever comes in or roles changed, I think he's got a way of making sure that guys feel important and he empowers them. And uh, listen, we we all know that a lot of the decisions that managers are making are group things. They're getting input from the analytics department in the front office pregame. Uh, so some of it is dictated in advance. A lot of it still has to be done on the fly. Um, he's not going to get outmaneuvered. He's way too smart for that. He's not going to panic. He's way too, you know, way too cool for that. And and I think he's as good with people, as I said, as any manager in the game. What a pivot point for the Red Sox franchise that 72 hours last fall when they were debating whether or not to hire Alex's manager or Sam Fold. And there were voices within the Red Sox organization who wanted to go with Sam Fold. I remember hearing that, Dan, and thinking, what are you, crazy? <laughs> like that Alex was so good as a manager and it turned out well for the Red Sox. And, and look, Sam Fold probably go on and be a great manager, too. But Alex Korf as a manager for the Red Sox, a perfect fit. Uh, all right. Before you go. Uh, I wanted to ask you about the Blue Jays. You meant do a lot of Blue Jays game during the course of the year. Give me the lay on the land and Marcus Simeon and Robbie Ray, who are both hitting the free agent market. And what do you think chances are the Blue Jays uh, keep one or both of these guys? Well, the fan base buster, by and large, of course, wants both of them resigned. And yeah. how could you not, right? Uh, with the kinds of seasons they had. Um, I think they financially could resign both of them but that would probably hamstring them in other areas. Um, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is hitting arbitration. Teoscar Hernandez is in arbitration. And Jose Barrios is a free agent at the end of next year. So he either requires arbitration or a one-year deal or an extension. Um, I think I, I, you're asking me what I think will happen. My, If I had to guess, I would guess neither one of them is back, to be honest with you. With Simeon, it's interesting. There are a couple of things the Blue Jays can't compete with. They can't become a West Coast team. And Marcus is a West Coast guy. You know, East Bay played with Oakland. The, the Blue Jays, if he says, listen, my family, we loved it here, but my family wants to be on the West Coast, there's nothing you can do. And if he wants to play shortstop, there's nothing you can do. Because I think Bo Bichette, uh, who struggled early in the year defensively, really improved. And I think he did enough to stay it short. I'm sure they will take a run at them, but I, I don't know if they're going to get them. Uh, my guess is they 
extend Jose Barrios or try like hell to extend Jose Barrios. Um, and, and I think there's an excellent chance if they don't get Simeon that they try to trade for Jose Ramirez. This is a team as good as it is, as fun as it is. Uh, there's a lot of sameness in the lineup, a lot of right, a ton of right-handed batters. Uh, Jose Ramirez in the two spot as a switch hitter with his ability to grind out at bats would be an incredible fit. You put him at third base, Kevin Biggio to me, if he's a part of it next year's a better fit at second than at third. So I, I'm not sure either Ray or Simeon are back, but if Ray's not back, then they've got to go get some starting pitching. And I don't know that it has to be a number one, but they've got to go get at least, you know, a solid, dependable middle of the rotation kind of guy to go with Jose Barrios, Hyunjin Ryu and, and Alec Manoa. The good news is for Blue Jays fans, if they don't get those guys, it's not like they're putting the money in the pockets. The, the contending window is wide, wide open, and they will spend a good amount of money in the offseason. I agree with you on both points completely. Uh, I don't think they have to re-sign those guys. I think they have a lot of other you know, ways to go. And I'd say this, if they're going to trade for Jose Ramirez, they better back up the truck. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Knowing what how great his contract is, how risk-free Jose Ramirez's contract is, uh, and the Indians' perspective or the Guardians' perspective on whether or not you want to make a deal for him, it's going to be, you know what, it's going to hurt. Uh, yeah, so it'll be hurt. very interesting. As you know, the two front offices very familiar with each other. Yes. Uh, Mark Shapiro, Ross Atkins came over to, to uh, Toronto from Cleveland, so they know Chris Antonetti well. Yeah, very well. And you're right. And, and I, I always, when I do radio hits or whatever, I, I kind of say to, to whoever's listening, like, be prepared for it to hurt. Be prepared for people you are very familiar with and very fond of to be in the deal going the other way, because that's the only way it's going to happen. I mean, they they could go out and get an uh, Eduardo Escobar, maybe try to trade for a Cattell Marte, maybe a Kyle Steger. Like, there are other options uh, on the market, and they've still got a good enough farm system that they can get it done, I think, without touching their top two prospects. Um, but they, in my mind, they definitely need to go out and get a good starting pitcher. They need a couple of relievers, and, and I think they need a third baseman. I think they can figure out second base in a variety of ways, but they they need a third baseman. And, and at some point, they've got to get a couple of switch hitters or left-handed batters in the top six or seven of that lineup. Guys, who grind a little bit more and just, you know, get a pitcher out of his rhythm instead of seeing so much of the same type of hitter time after time, you know, they, they can bludgeon you, but there were times when they went ice cold at stretches too. And you've got to be able to hit the good pitching to be able to be successful in October. They're close. And, and again, as sad as it is, people are now starting to say, when's Vladdy a free agent? When's Bo a free? And, oh, and it's four years. I know, but it's four years away. But the contending window is wide open. They learned a lot this year. They now know what they have in Guerrero, Bichette, Manoa, Romano, Teoscar Hernandez. They they know a lot more about those guys than they did a year ago. Now it's time to build around them. I think they know exactly what they need, and I think they'll do their best to try and get it. Boy, you drop Jose Ramirez into that group. That'd be so much fun to watch. I know. All right, Dan, thanks for doing this. I'll be listening tonight. All right, Buster. Good talking with you. Bleacher Tweets. Alrighty, Buster. Bleacher Tweets for a Monday. Justin Simmons at Justin Lance Sim 1. Can you recall a GM getting more value for such a low price as Alex Anthopoulos did this season for the Braves? Peterson, Rosario, and Duvall cost the Braves next to nothing. And how about Jorge Soler, too, right? Mm. (laughs) Who's not in the series because he tested positive for COVID. Uh, Alex Anthopoulos is going to have a very unique case for executive of the year. One of the calls I was going to make today was whether or not the voting's already taken place. Because it feels like uh, that if the Braves win the World Series, I don't know how you could do ha- have a more instrumental role than Alex has had with the Braves this year. 
Yeah, invalidate that uh, vote there. AAR guy, friend of the pod. Jacob Stack is up next at Jacob Stack 11. At what point is an infield coach going to tell Corey Seager he can't backhand every ball that comes his way? Yeah, uh, look, he, he trusts his hands. Maybe he shouldn't. I would say, you know, I've been working on a piece about the elite shortstops and a common refrain I hear a lot is that evaluators telling me that they think Corey Seager is going to have to move from short to third or even to first base sooner rather than later. Andy Peterson at M.A. Peterson writes, and is Buster's young Braves fan sporting a jock hawk and clutching game day pearls? Hashtag Jocktober. Does, uh, does Jake have any of that going on? The answer would be no. Uh, <laughs> my son does not like to uh, stand out in a crowd. Like he doesn't like to be different than other people. He's never going to be the kid who's sitting in the front row of the class. I can tell you that. All right. No Jock Hawk this time around. Last tweet for day. Savage and Beast. Christopher Savage writes in, hey, Buster and Reverend Schwing, given that the Astros, oh my gosh, I'm butchering this, given that the Houston Asterix and the Boston Cheat Sox are competing to taint another World Series, do you think Rob Manfred regrets not bothering to punish anyone significantly in the 2017 and 18 scandals? Nope. Nope, I think Rob Manfred's a lot like Bill Belichick. We're on to Cincinnati. It's nothing about the past, nothing about the future. It's right now we're preparing for Cincinnati. Yep, they're moving on. They're focused on <laughs> 2021, Taylor. All right, and we will move on. We will talk to everyone tomorrow. Hashtag Bleacher Tweets on Twitter as you're watching Red Sox Astros tonight. And please follow, rate, and review this podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. That's it for today. My thanks to Tim, Dan, Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. Thanks for listening to the Baseball Tonight podcast. If you're playing fantasy baseball, check out the Fantasy Focus podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. The Baseball Tonight podcast. Dogs are an important part of our lives. That means protecting them from parasites. Ask your vet about NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus Chews provides one-and-done monthly protection against fleas, ticks, heartworm disease, roundworms, and hookworms. Plus, they're delicious and easy to give. Use with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting a preventive. Ask about NextGuard Plus Chews.